Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. My co-host today is Nathan. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and thanks for having me. Today's topic, Dogma, the fourth film in Kevin Smith's View Askewverse series. This is your warning, we will be talking spoilers. We've kind of been all over the shop with our our View Askewverse reviews. We started with more rats because, you know, it feels comic book, like comic book related, so we'll start there. And because we've done that, hey, let's do Chasing Amy. Then we went back to Clerks, Clerks 2. We'd already done Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. So this is the only one that we haven't covered. Over at that film stew, we've done Jane Silent Bob Reboot. We've done Clerks 3. Sounds like comics. We've done Clerks the Animated Series. So this film, Dogma, is the only one that we've not done. And we're finally doing it. It's eluded us for quite some time, hasn't it? And you're right. We've been very hodgepodge with our um, our chronology in covering Smith, Kevin Smith. But, um, you know, I guess it's it's high time we got around to this one and it's great to finally be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, yeah, with the scheduling and I just kind of figured for the longest time, the guys at Rewind and Review were going to do Clerks. Anyway, <laughs> so that's why it's a little bit all over the place, but it's okay. Because although we are recording these reviews out of order, you can't listen to them in order if you choose to. You, you just it. have to find the right numbering. That's it. I mean, we've talked at length about how much of a fan or fans we are of Kevin Smith, View Ask Universe, all of that. This movie, oh. for me, when it came out on DVD, I rushed out and I bought it new release the day that it came out and then all these films after this i'd done that with also including jersey girl <laughs> cop out all of them but this is one where i'm like okay so it's now a new release i'm gonna rush out and buy it and it's mm. one you can't buy i mean you can go on amazon ebay but you can't walk into a shop you can't mm. stream it you can't oh man it's weird like... rent it I saw it in the cinema and I snagged a copy of it on VHS. That's how old we are. Um, and I've still got that VHS in my cabinet, but I have not got this one on DVD. It's one of the only Universe films I have not got on DVD. Ah, that is interesting. So when it was made available as a new release, then I must have had the choice to get VHS or DVD. And I chose, I chose DVD. I'm wishing I chose DVD. I mean, I I mean now I've got two copies on DVD. I've got the one that I bought in the UK, Region 2, and then fairly recently, I wasn't looking for it in a second-hand charity shop. They were sitting for a dollar. So I'm like, you know what? That's absolutely insane. I'll, I'll buy it. I've not got a Region 4 copy, so I'll, um, I'll pick the it up. The luck you have is insane. You know, this is kind of jumping to the end, but Smith has talked about a sequel and he's been asked mm. about a sequel but back in 2017 he came out and said that it's just not going to happen he's no longer desired to make any new religious films and i think the fact that this is the one film of his oh, that I've he doesn't own 
it got hugely picketed and everything. It caused a lot of shit. It caused a big shit storm, huge controversy. I mean, it, it was did. picketed. It did. But what I'm mm. talking about is like this film, like he doesn't own this film. Like he can't mm. do anything with dogma. It's why you can't buy no. it. It's why you can't stream yeah. it, rent it, because it's been he refers to this film as being held hostage by the Weinsteins. Yeah. They they own it. He's tried, yeah, um, he's tried buying it off them and it's just not happened. So a sequel yeah. a sequel's not gonna happen. Um but I mean, we're talking end. We will go all the way back to the beginning again. But if you think yeah. where this film ends, because thinking about, well, if they were to do, for fun, if they were going to do a sequel, what could yeah. that sequel be? Well, Bethany Sloan, the character played by Linda Fiorentino, she's pregnant. Yep. She's going to have a... That's right. She has. Yeah. And she's a descendant of Jesus Christ uh, for the purposes of the film. And she's going to have a kid who, for all intents and purposes, will be uh, the next descendant down the line, like a scion or an offspring of. So in the movie Dogma, she is the last scion. But then you find out, as you say, at the end, she's pregnant. So therefore, her baby will be the last scion. Now, yeah. fitting in with the trend of legacy sequels, this child could be the new lead of the film and open yeah, up several exciting creative possibilities so this film was released and set in 1999 meaning the unborn child would be in their early 20s and a sequel mm. could provide a spin on the child born to be a savior trope that has been seen in many films such as terminator 2 judgment day so i just feel like this movie could have a, a good sequel but that's what you would do though that's exactly how you would pitch the sequel. What you just said is exactly how you would make a sequel to this film. It would be a good film. would be a good film. But, as I've said before, the Weinsteins personally own the distribution rights, so it's unavailable mm. to stream or purchase digitally. Mm. So there's going to be no, no sequel. In fact, its last official home media release was on Blu-ray in March 2008. Well, That was the last time you could purchase it as a new release. It's there been it's been that long. So yeah, anyway, I just thought it was a fun thing. Like you know, looking at movies like Terminator Two. Like, hey, that could be a direction. Yeah, absolutely. An interesting nugget of information that only just came to light to me recently that I found out about Dogma is that it was Smith's basically farewell to Christianity. It was it was him kind of saying you know or coming to terms with atheism and wanting to be an atheist, and uh, it was like his parting kind of sort of uh, glance or shot, if you will, at religion. That was him turning his back on religion and trying to reconcile with it when he just couldn't. And I didn't know that okay. for the longest time. So that was, I forget where I saw that, that bit of information, but I did read that very recently. Um, and that really struck me, took me by surprise, because I always figured Smith to be religious. Um, how religious, I don't know, but I always thought he was. So it's kind of strange to read that. Yeah, no, I still take it as he is. Like, I don't think he necessarily goes. I mean, obviously, this is getting personal, but I don't think he, you know, goes to church every Sunday. But I thought that he was still religious. Anyway, this Weird. screenplay, the screenplay yeah. for this film, well, in fact, it had many, many different drafts. But mm. the first screenplay, he actually wrote it before Clerks in '94. Well, but he shelved it because he wanted to do it with proper visual effects. So it ended yeah. up being. His fourth. They just film. didn't have the budget at the time. No, Smith mm. 
pursued Robert Rodriguez to direct this film. Rodriguez oh, wow. enjoyed the script, sense. but in seeing how personal the story was, insisted that Smith himself direct it. And what you were just saying that's there, fair. like if if that's true, what you were saying, then yeah, if this is some sort of farewell for him, then yeah, it's a really yeah. personal story. Absolutely, that's that's fair. I mean, if he's struggling, if he was struggling to reconcile his emotions with religion or his his you know his attitude towards it, whatever whatever you want to say, it's only fair that he himself should handle the um. Uh, the photography of it, uh, the directing of it, because he's so intimately intimately um, versed in the material. Yeah. You mentioned Fair enough. people ticketing it's, um, this film. Okay. You know, there's, there's a news clip, and mm. Smith himself is picketing his own movie. Oh, like, wow. That's he's, awesome. He's there, and he actually gets asked about the film, and he gives, he gives some sort of bogus comment. About does he just act like film. he's all? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, awesome. I think he's like. I think it's along the lines of him also being negative about dogma, but at the same time saying, "But I quite like clerks or something along those lines. You know, Smith <laughs> awesome. Smith. Like he always finds a way. That's cool. To, um, like a backhanded compliment. Yeah. yeah. He plugs clerks a lot, and rightly, rightly so. I love it. I love the, it. The film's irreverent treatment of the Catholic Church triggered considerable controversy even before its opening the catholic league denounced it as blasphemy organized mm. protests delayed its release in many countries and led to at least two death threats against smith despite wow. this dogma was well received by critics and grossed 44 million against its 10 million budget becoming the highest grossing film in the view ask Universe series to date so there you go it was financially yeah, I find it amusing that you know the pop culture world receives it really well, and critics receive it really well, and yet the um, the conservative religious world cracks the absolute shits at it. But this is a completely different thing, isn't it? So if we go back to yeah. Clerks, and then Morvats, yeah. and then yeah, I love Morvats. Morvats is still one of my favourite Smith films, but it it wasn't that well received. Didn't do that good at the box office, mm. of course. Like. Almost all his films got cult. It deserved status. to. It, well, it did. It did, and it's again cult status. Like it's found an audience later in life, whether it was VHS, you know, DVD, whatever. But then it's kind of like the guy that did Clerks, then did Chasing Amy. Mm. It's like right, okay. So critically, he was being well received again. So it's mm. an interesting trajectory, isn't it? So from Clerks, and then what some would say at the time was a misstep with more rats and then he's back on track with chasing amy yeah. and it's a shared universe so it's like what are you yeah, going to do I next love it. angels demons and he's like wow this was God. different yeah i know what you mean this God was different this, movie. So, this didn't have so the, different. this didn't have the shared universe element to it uh, i know what you mean it did oh, feel no, it does. No, no no well no 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 100 as the, no, i'm not saying i mean this is of course a shared universe like mm. Completely, like actors are coming back, characters are in it. Like Brian O'Halloran is in this movie as Dante Hicks. Like you know, the Quick Stop, Jane Silent Bob. So it is a shared yeah. continuity. What I'm saying is, like concept-wise, all of a sudden, what started in Clerks now has this is a world with angels, demons. All and of demons. a sudden, the supernatural is a thing. So that's I see what, what you're saying. It. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, it is shared continuity and we 
We've talked about the graphic novel a number of times. Mm. Chasing Dogma. Yes. We've mentioned it a couple of times. Obviously, Chasing yeah. Amy happened. We've both got it. You've got it you know, as, as a trade. Correct me if I'm wrong. I do in, in the I've UK. But whenever, whenever we talked about it, I don't think we've quite agreed on what it's actually about. You said one thing, I've said another thing. So I'm like, do you know what? It might come up. And I know I brought it up. So I'm actually, I'm going to get the facts. Chasing Dogma is a comic book miniseries that chronicles the events of Jay and Silent Bob between their films, Chasing Amy and Dogma. Where yes, I think so the confusion has come in, it's the mm. it's Suzanne, the monkey. I think that's where yes. the confusion's come in. So yeah. where it actually fits, and that's why I think we've been a bit back and forth with each other. So the story yeah. of Chasing Dogma, Jay and Silent Bob get the idea that if they go to the town of Sherm, Illinois, where most of John Hughes's movies take place, they could get chicks and be the blunt connection. Along the way, they encounter Holden McNeil, wildlife marshals, and monkeys. It was originally published in Oni Press in four issues as Jay and Silent Bob in 98 and 99, later collected in trade paperback by Image Comics. Now, the reason why I want to go through all of that is because whenever we talked about this on previous Kevin Smith episodes, we've not had that information in front of us, and both of us have been re recalling it slightly differently. So we're both going to our own yeah. memories. And You're right. You're right. And Susan the monkey is the common denominator here because she throws us both off because she was a plot device used at the end of More Rats, but she doesn't come into effect, cinematically speaking, until... Jay and Silent Bob strike back. Exactly. But she, Which she took elements from this trade. Yes, yeah, so, it, so yeah. it messes with the canon a little bit. So I think mm. that's where we mm. kept, so we must have brought God. it up or talked about it yeah. when we reviewed more rats. Oh, we've both we, read it. Yeah. So, so now, yeah. we now we know where where it takes place. And yeah, I've got that trade somewhere, somewhere in in the UK. But this film, though, Smith once again. Silent Bob. We'll start mm -hmm. with him as he's the director. Um, if we're looking at his dialogue, mm -hmm. he speaks a total of three words in the whole film. Yeah. No ticket. Yeah. When he's on the train. Mm -hmm. He and thanks. That's it. That is mm. after Rufus talks to Jay before going back to heaven. That's it. Mm. I mean, he is yeah. Silent Bob after all, but that's... Um, that's not a lot. That's not a lot. I mean, as always, with Smith as Silent Bob, we get a lot of face acting. We get a lot of expressions, mm. raised eyebrows, you know, all, yeah. all I mean, of that. He does a lot of his face. Yeah. Yeah. And Jay, as always, Jason Mewes, out of the two, verbally at least, he's doing all, oh, yeah. the, all the heavy lifting. Yeah. The little stoner's got a point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, put, I read something, and it was the, so the, the big showdown at the end. And Jay, he wasn't reacting how Smith wanted him to react in a scene with Alana's mother set as God and mm -hmm. Alan Rickman as Metron. Like he mm. he wasn't giving the performance that Smith wanted out right. of him. Yeah. And I I read this little tidbit before rewatching the film, and it's mm -hmm. pretty entertaining to watch it with this the the in advice my, that yeah. Smith gave him. Smith said to Muse, you're Daffy Duck. 
when you're reacting and looking up, there's been all the death and God's there and there's angels and all of this, like, just think you're Daffy Duck. And that's, he's like, what the, what? And he's like, he's all over the place in his mannequin. Yeah, he's like, what's this? What's that? Why is this happening? Who are you? You're always kind of, yeah. That's Jason Mewes doing Daffy Duck. Pretty oh, cool. Oh, wow. Pretty cool. That's crazy. I never would have figured that. No, me neither. I mean, I've, honestly, I have seen this film more than most. I've seen it so many times to the point where I was thinking, mm. as we're getting ready to review it, I was thinking, do I need to actually watch it again? I have seen it so many times. Yeah. Those um, little like tidbits that. that came across, I thought, yeah, it just adds to it. That's cool. There are definitely movies like that where you've just seen them so many times, you can recall them from memory and you don't even need to rewatch it. Yeah, that's it. But it's always good to do the prep. Oh, of course, yeah. So it, it, it helps. It helps. But again, like, but when it's something that you have seen so many times, but times, yeah, it's, yeah. it's always good to have um, the movie fresh. I mean, in your mind. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that Smith was able to draft Alan Rickman in to to um to have a role in this film. Some big names here, and Alanis. I think his casting of Alanis as a Christian deity was pretty good. It was pretty oh, inspired, amazing. pretty genius. Yeah, yeah. I think she's she's great in it. Apart other names that I came across were like Holly Hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, uh, uh, who else? Oh, Selma Hayek. She's got a cameo. No, she does. Well, she's well, she's good. She plays um, Muse. Muse, that's right. No, what I'm, what I'm saying is that God, originally before Alanis Morissette, they were looking at Holly Hunter, um, Emma Thompson, so other actors that they were looking at, but scheduling mm. just didn't line up. So they ended up going with Alanis Morissette instead. I'm really glad they did because she, she's you great. Because, I mean, her, she's got no virtually no dialogue, um, but it's all in her expressionism. It's all in her sense of innocence and playfulness um, and just like like visually how she's just sort of taking everything in i think that's brilliant but the most interesting thing to, to uh, i think smith did with in terms of being a writer as well as a director with that film was explaining how he had to incapacitate god so that god couldn't inter- intervene in the events that azrael was plotting i thought that was genius and it took me a long time when i was a teenager to work out the machinations of that it wasn't until years later i realized oh wow that's genius you know yeah, yeah, it was good. I mean, she was trapped in a human vessel on live support, yeah. and for as long, yeah, yeah, and she just could not, could not yeah, escape and they the, had to go the vessel. Unplug the life support to release her. You mentioned Rickman. How did they get Alan Rickman for this film? Right. I know right. how. Rickman right. was a fan of Chasing Amy. Wow. Well, I'm not surprised because it's a very cerebral film. Yeah, but but that was it. So they had his attention with that film. He read mm. the script for Dogma, and he came back with two questions. Would they stay faithful to the script, and were the rings real or CGI? So, so that was it. So a, it was in. It was... Um, yeah, it, it was didn't in. take much convincing. He was like, yeah, I'm in. There's a line he says that's always perpetually stuck in my head from this film. That film where he's explaining to Bethany uh, the consequences of what's happening with Bartleby and Loki. At the end of it, he says thus negating all existence and i've never forgotten that line just because of his lisp and his accent and his accent thus negating all existence and i say it to myself all the time i, I don't hear a lisp what rickman he's got a, i reckon he's got a lisp do you yeah thus negating all existence <laughs> do you know what sometimes you're okay with impressions this is not one of them that's okay 
That sounds like but someone from a Carry On movie. It's a line that's stuck in my head, and I've just never forgotten it. I mean, the line's valid, but yeah, a girl in a PJs. You ask so many questions. Yeah, he he really is great in this. Like he really, I mean, he's it, you know, he's great value in, in everything. But I, yeah, especially really enjoy him in this. And we've got Ben Affleck. You know, we first yep. got him in yep. More Rats, and again chasing Amy, and yep. now for the third time with Smith, Dogma. Playing Bartleby. Mm, the wrathful, vengeful, scorned angel. And I always, it always struck me, you know, growing up watching the Incredible Hulk TV series from the 70s. Mm. And he's got that line, you know, when third act, the police turn up at the church and Affleck right. quotes from the show. When David Banner, played by Bill Bixby, said, Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And of course, then snaps <laughs> the cops. Like, it, it can be distracting at times, not to the point where mm. it takes away from my enjoyment because I just still really like it. But even characters like Metron, like Rickman, he's mm. quoting Bionic Woman. We can rebuild her, make her stronger, faster. Yeah, yeah. It, it does take you out but of it. I mean, it's fun and it is what it is. And it's few ask you verse and all of Kevin that. Kevin loves. Kevin loves pop culture. And that, he does, and I do too. But if he's... It's in okay. everything he does. Affleck, fine. It's just something about Rickman doing it. I don't know. It's yeah, kind of, it reminds me a little action. bit. You know, his character in Galaxy Quest doesn't necessarily mm. like doing the quotes and stuff. I, I think of that a little bit. Whenever Rickman's mm. saying something pop culture related in Dogma, it's like, did the actors yeah. enjoy it? You have to wonder. Maybe he kind of got a, a chuckle out of it because it's so against type for him. It's so against what he knows because he's such a highly trained thespian style actor. I mean, that's it. But as I say, he, he clearly, you know, he read the script, liked the script, didn't want any changes. But yeah, but with him in particular, again, like, you know, the the Incredible Hulk line, the quote, it's fine. It's okay. Affleck's saying it. He just, I don't know, just jumped at me a little bit differently when it was um, Rickman. Matt Damon yeah. is Loki. Not that Loki. Was good. Not the MCU Loki. This is a different Loki. This is an angel. Although Not the Norse God. Years later, in Thor Ragnarok, Matt Damon does play Loki in the stage play. Which is, which is pretty <laughs> it's a cool. Nice little aside. Yeah. A nice little aside. He does reprise interesting. The, he does he does reprise their angel Loki in another Smith film. And it was recent too. I'm just it, I, the, the film just escapes me. Jay and Silent a, Bob. Reboot, which That's it. is excellent because watching this movie, Loki dies. But no, yeah, wait, there's more. In a mm. fourth wall breaking monologue, he explains after the events of Dogma, God once again banished him to Earth, and this time to the Mediterranean Sea, where he was rescued by Italian fishermen after getting amnesia. Of course, that is Damon describing the plot of his film. The born identity. He then remarks, "Wow, that would make his current form his reborn identity." Bit of fun, uh, bit of fun from Damon there. So that was he, that was cool. him back as Loki. But yeah, so it's sort of like he's recounting where he's been all that's this a, time, and he's just fourth wall. Fourth uh, wall. Yeah, the reborn that's kind of, identity. Smith does that though? That's kind of that's like uh, that scene with Affleck and Damon playing themselves. In the Goodwill Hunting two sequence in Strike Back, that's a fourth wall within a fourth wall. Yeah, 
How do you like them apples? Ah, that's a yeah, really, really cool. But yeah, but I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to make a point of talking about that little fun that great. appearance again. Because yeah. you know, Loki was a good character and he saw the error of his ways. He became human first. And that's the thing. Like humans feel regret, angels don't. So when he yeah. no longer has his wings, before Bartleby's wings are removed, he's feeling mm. regret. And then Bartleby kills his closest friend. Yeah, oh, there's so much drama and violence. I know. Don't normally, I know. Get violence and death in in these. Aspects we even get, we even get a shit demon, you know. Ah, oh, always a low moment, a low brow moment. Yeah, a in, shit demon. In this movie. Mm-hmm. It's horrible rubber suit. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. Yeah, horny, but it's cool. It's cool. It's it's tacky, but it's fun. Mentioned Linda Quarantino already, so she's. Bethany, so the last yep. scion. I did. There's a name we get, haven't mentioned. I think I touched on her once before, but we don't need to get too bogged down on this. But she and Smith did not get along at all. And after this film wrapped, they didn't talk to each other for the longest time. I think it wasn't until wow. um, they reconnected after his heart attack. Like it had been so many years later, and he apologized to her for some of the things he'd said over the years. It was this whole thing where is they didn't get along. There's, there were days on set where they wouldn't talk to each other. And if you think about What's Smith? it... Smith and Fiorentino. Yes. If you think what? about it, like so many of these actors, he works with over multiple films. Hmm. She's one of the few that you don't see again. Never appears again in any, any one of his... Any one of yeah. his films. I mean, Alan Rickman... I wonder... He's not... I wonder why they didn't get along. I, I wonder why there's animosity there. I, was, I don't was. know the full ins and outs. I just know that for the longest time they didn't get along. Um, yeah. Wow. But she really works in this film. I mean, before this, mm. in 97, I'd seen her in Men in Black. I think that was the first thing that I saw her in. Mm. But, you know, she's she's really good in this. And it just makes, for me, the the performance more special. The fact that you don't going, see yeah. her turn up in another film of his playing a different character. True, true. I do like the scene where she's on the, the train talking to um, uh, Bartleby, unbeknownst that he is the very person she's trying to stop, and she's intoxicated, drunk, and trying to, and she's just hilarious, falling over herself, saying, "How am I supposed to catch these two? You know, and she's doing that clap motion as in, yeah, as in yeah, how, yeah. how like catch. Yeah, that was really funny. I thought that was great the way she did. She did that so well and just sold the the illusion of just being, you know, like blind drunk and, and finding the whole thing absurdly funny like really well uh, in the presence of the her mortal enemy you know the person she's going after and none, well, none, um, none the wiser Affleck the brilliant. look on his face when he realises she's the last scion yeah that was brilliant it's, it's really well done it, it's kind of similar years later you know when um, Spider-Man Homecoming where Peter Parker yep. is in the car with Michael Keaton Vulture and then mm-hmm. Keaton figures out that Peter Parker is Spider Man, and that just yeah. that, that expression, yeah, so we, that's really yeah. good. There, and we we get it here from Affleck. I love that. It's that that re- recollection, that, that kind of look of horror, that look of oh crap, this is the person who's trying to get me. You know, yeah, it's very cool. That's, very, uh, it was awesome. I love that movie. Very well done. You know, earlier on, after meeting with Bethany, Jay says it's like I'm harm, you're Chewy. She's Ben Kenobi, and we're in that fucked up bar. A bar again. 
the scene fuck your bar again. <laughs> but the scene transitions are done in the same way as the Star Wars movies, wiping instead of just cutting to the next scene. So it's a blatant wow. Star Wars reference, but then yeah. he uses the the wipe as well yeah, as like Star yeah, Wars, yeah. which is that's cool, pretty cool. Little fact, subtleties like that. If you know, you know. If not, you just move into the next scene. It's not a big distraction, mm-hmm. but it's um, that's cool. It's very cool. It's a little tidbit that I was coming across that I'd not known or even noticed before. Let's talk a little bit about the costumes. The hoods worn around the neck of the three angels in the film, Metron, Mm -hmm. Bartleby, and Loki, Mm -hmm. represent their halos. Oh, wow. Never knew. That's what it is. Their hoods on their backs are to represent their halos. Not only that, all angels are identically dressed except for the colour of their clothes. They are wearing the same outfits. So they're like, oh, honestly... Never noticed. So that their hoods mind. are halos. Oh, it's cool. Yeah, so that's I, brilliant. What two? I'm glad you glad you mentioned wardrobe. Um, it never dawned on me when I was younger watching this that one of the the hockey playing evil kids who assailants who takes out God is actually wearing a Hellboy t shirt. He is. Yeah, Mike Brignol is Hellboy. Of course. Smith yeah, being a big fan. And yeah, one no, of them is also cool. wearing a Madman shirt. Yeah, and, and at some point in the film, in the background, you see some Madman action figures as well. Mike yep. Allred, who created that character, he did. He was the illustrator on some of the. That's right. Blunt Man, or was it Blood Man Iconic? Smith the James Allen Bob comics. Smith giving props to creators. We should also ah, mention stuff. the church scene uh, in New Jersey. I think it's, or it could be, it could be somewhere else. But there's a church scene, uh, and there's a priest speaking in the among the the, the parishioners or among the mourners or whoever in the. The worshippers in the pews, we see Jim Marford, who is a comic book artist. That's Jim right. Marford is he, um, and Robert Kirkman's in there too. Right, that's cool. Jim Marford, he did the first Black and White Clerks comics, didn't he? Yes, he did. That was him. Yeah, so no, it's, that's it's always good. Smith throwing a bone. If, yeah, Smith yeah. throwing a bone at fellow creators. Smith I love that. Yeah, I, I love all the the cameos are great, but the world building as well. So. Oh, actually, you were talking about the um, you know the priest, and we kind of like just moved on from that. I know we've been a little bit all over the place here, but that is Cardinal Glick, played yep. by George Carlin, of course. Yes, Rufus, Back to the Future, Bill and Ted, Rufus, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and various stand-up specials. Yeah, it's pretty cool that they George got Carl. him. Oh, absolutely. They um they got him in this, and he comes back in Jersey Girl playing Affleck's dad. He was in yep. uh, James Strike Sand, Back. Strike Back. He had a small part in that as a yeah. as a hitchhiker. The unwritten book of the road. Yeah. What I was going to say, the world building. So this is the View Askewverse. This film is the first appearance of a movie's restaurant in a Smith film. Something that becomes a recurring establishment in future View Askew. Films, right. when they they're looking down, it's like an aerial shot of the kids' play area outside of movies. It's in the shape of a meat grinder. So there you go, a little <laughs> bit, of, a little bit uh, of, of detail. But yeah, the world a, building is something I've always enjoyed from saying. The and there's a there's a yeah. name we've actually overlooked. There's a, there's an actor or a name we've overlooked. Do you know who it is? 
Well, there's a, well, there's a couple so far. We've not mentioned Jason Lee yet. As as for the, the Jason Lee, yeah, he's cool. We got a shout out. It's got a shout out, my boy, Jason Lee. Yeah, I mean, from Mallrats to Chasing Amy, and then in Dogma. Yes, I always enjoyed seeing him in this. And then you get the moment where the Cardinal turns out that he's the kind of guy that would bless his own clubs. So when Silent yeah. Bob strikes his chest, it damages him. It Sends him back. Yeah, it's, um, which is brilliant. It's a great plot device. But yeah, is, Lee um, was really great cool. in this. Hell hath no fury like central air. Well, he has that line, doesn't he, where he's like, you know, this is not the, you know, like, like comparing himself to a Bond villain. Like, I'm not just going to tell you my whole evil. Yeah, plan, that's right. Which is exactly what he does in Incredible. <laughs> that's <laughs> great. In the other film. Yeah, a holy there. bartender. Oh, that line. It's yeah. good. Yeah, now he's That's always good. he's always good value. She's not in it for yeah. too long, but in the opening we get Janine Garofalo playing Liz, one of Bethany's mates. So she's not she in it cool as well. Yeah, but she's not in it for too long. Mm. I mean, we can go through some of the cameos. When they're in the bar watching the Reign of Terror at the church on the news, the newscaster is Brian O'Halloran, Dante yes. Hicks from Clerks, making his fourth appearance in a Kevin Smith film. Also making a cameo is Jeff Anderson Randall from Clerks as the gun salesman. Several right. other Clerks actors and actresses also appear as well, as they do in all of Kevin Smith's films. So it's always fun when you see you know, see those people turning up. It's interesting that whenever O'Halloran makes a, a cameo as someone other than Dante, it's it's another Hicks. It's like the Hicks family reunion. It's like all the different hexes. Uh, it's yeah, really in cool. Universe. Yeah. Well, we were both oh, reading cool. that recent comic. Yes. Quick stop. Quick stop. And the fourth and final issue. Hopefully, they do more. It is mm. all the Hicks guys together, <laughs> which all was different Hicks guys. Excellent. Yes, we'd seen that them. So good in live action across multiple films. So yeah, in a comic, uh, it was cool seeing all of them come together there as well yeah, absolutely so that's that made me think of that because obviously um you've got the hicks who's the reporter who's related to dante and also gill that's right oh do you know what rufus we've mentioned rufus but we've not mentioned the fact that it's chris rock chris rock yes. is rufus rock someone else who would come back in future smith films but originally smith wanted samuel l jackson or will smith oh wow that, Can you imagine? Who, that's who I was thinking. I mean, of course, like Smith went on to work with Will Smith in Jersey Girl. The opening of that mm. movie, Smith essentially plays himself. But yeah, but that mm. could have been different. But Chris Rock, he's he's really good in this. He did his best to tuck it back. <laughs> he absolutely did. Yeah. And Bob gives him his coat. Dude, it could yeah. be rubbing up inside your armor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. No, he was great. He was good in this as well. He was he was he was awesome. Chris Rock's great. Always liked the score. Originally, Smith wanted Danny Elfman. That didn't happen. Oh, wow. He was unavailable, but instead, Howard Shaw. Now, I've I mean, I've seen his name on many films. He's composed the scores for over 80 films. Most notably, the scores for The Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit film trilogies. He won three Academy Awards for his work on The Lord of the Rings, which wow. is a small feat. 
He is also a consistent collaborator with David Cronenberg, having scored all but one of his films since 79. Shaw has also composed for TV, including serving as the original musical director for the American sketch show Saturday Night Live, 75 to 1980. In addition to his Academy Awards, Shaw has also won three Golden Globe Awards and four Grammy Awards. Sure, prolific prolific is an understatement. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, that is very, very impressive. So they couldn't get Elfman. They had to settle for Shaw, but they did okay. (laughs) I mean, what a get for them he was. And just, you know, even if we're just looking at the... Lord of the Rings films, like the Hobbit films, like just epic, like everything just sounds so, so big. And Absolutely. a film like this, which, you know, bigger in budget to most of Smith's films and the action and just the epic scale, I think Shaw did Absolutely. an excellent job. Okay, so if you're going to rate Dogma out of five. I will come in at probably, probably four. And I think probably because when I was younger, I would have given it a straight up five. But um, now that I'm older, I don't know. For whatever reason, I'm just going to come in with four. Um, it's no, by no means a crap movie. It's by no means, you know, it's it's, it's not. It's like it's not terrible. Um, but I do think there are other films out there of Smiths that have that strike more of an emotional chord, especially for me, um, and that have something more to say. But this was good. This was a really good creative venture for Smith. And it seems to be that he had a lot on his mind and he had a lot that he thought about over a long period of time and wanted to kind of creatively get off his chest. And some of the casting in it, as we mentioned before, like Alanis was inspired. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I would go like with a pretty solid four out of five. Uh, it's definitely more than I recommend. I'd say check it out for sure. I'm going to come in a little bit higher, but only a little bit higher. And I'm not going to come in at a five. This is a movie I've always watched and really enjoyed. Unlike you, I didn't get to see it at the cinema. I think, I think yeah, I, I just missed it. Maybe it got like a limited release in, in the UK. So picking it up on DVD and like really enjoying it. But even this most recent viewing, it's the shit monster. I get it. Mm. There's a gag it's in the strip club. And I don't know, like, I mean, it's crude, you know, which you get with a lot of his films, but... I don't know, just something about that character, that creature. Yeah, never quite. Yeah, bit yeah. B-grade. That's it. And and I get it, and, it, and it's fine, but it's just shit, literally. Um, yeah, I'm going to come in at a 4.5 out of 5. I mean, like most Smith films, I really, really, really like this film, uh, but not quite a 5, which I ended up giving to all three Clerks films. It's Perfect trilogy for me, five yeah. out of five. But yeah, this is not quite up there, but um, solid score from yourself, from me with a 4.5. So there you go. That's well, that's it for our episode all about Dogma. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. <laughs>